The first reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, which is to be found on page 1179 of the Church Bibles. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that, in the name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And the second reading uh, today is from Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and you can find that um, on page uh, 1093 of the Church Bible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of, each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and do here what you did in Jerusalem on that day at Pentecost. 
come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. So we're continuing our series. We are in Philippians chapter 2, and we're also going to be in Acts chapter 2. So keep a finger in both of those passages. Now, a little while back, we were preaching, and we hit John chapter 14. uh, And I told you that I was going to come back to it, because there was something in there that was a little bit perplexing. You see, Jesus, before he dies, he tells his disciples that after he dies and he's been to the Father, he's going to send down the Holy Spirit on them, and then they are going to do things, uh, works, miracles, even greater than he did. And this greater is in greater number. It's, it's, it's greater in quality. And the things that Jesus did are incredible. And so John chapter 14, verse 12, perplexes us. But we see, in fact, a continuation from the Gospels into Acts. If you read Luke's Gospel and then you read Acts, also written by Luke, back to back, you find out when Jesus healed, uh, there's there's a very similar healing in Acts. John and Peter walk out to the temple and immediately they heal someone at the gate called Beautiful who had been crippled for ages. Where Jesus drives our demons we find that his followers in Acts are driving out demons. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, we find out that his followers are even doing that. Paul, while he's preaching, puts someone to sleep because he preaches for so long. He falls out of a window, lands on the ground dead, and Paul runs down the steps, lies on him, and he comes back to life. People raised from the dead. There's an incredible continuation. And then we see our our own lives and our own church, and we ask, how can this be for us? Because we don't seem to be seeing these incredible miracles happening in our midst and in our lives. So is there something that we aren't catching on to here? Is there some sort of apostolic age that the Holy Spirit is given for? And when the Bible is complete, those letters are written, the Gospels are finished— maybe the canon of scripture finalized, then we move on and the Holy Spirit departs. But that doesn't work biblically because Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, as he continues on uh, from verse 12, he gets to verse 15 where he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, to help you and to be with you forever. Not for this next phase, But forever, that's how long the Holy Spirit is promised for. So it doesn't work biblically. Experientially, it doesn't work either. Because we know that the Holy Spirit is active in healing people. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was on the Camino and hurt my right knee quite badly. And and people from, from this church, Will Holmes and Rob Hawkins, they prayed for my knee and it was healed. Healed so I could walk another 26 kilometers the next day at a really good lick. We do see healing today. And we also see it in other parts of the world more powerfully, and we see it potentially in other churches more powerfully. So the Holy Spirit still wants us to to step out in doing what Jesus did, the works he did, and even greater things than these because he is going to the Father. And so we have to be left with this conclusion that there is more to God, more to our infinite God, than we experience now. 
And my question for us as a church is, are we willing to step out into this more of the infinite God that we are currently not experiencing in great power? And I want to put to you today, from these two passages that we're going to look at, Philippians 2 and Acts 2, that, number one, a church united, number two, in Christ, number three, following his commands, that's the word of God, number four, provides space for the Holy Spirit to move in power, number five. And we're going to go through them one by one. So we start off with the church. And here it'd be helpful to have Philippians chapter 2 open in front of you. And we see in verse 1 that Paul's writing, Therefore, if you, the Philippian church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, a you in the church and a with Christ. Paul's writing to the insider rather than the outsider. And Jesus' command that he gives for his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost is for the inside again rather than the outsider. It's a you, a you as a church. And therefore, we can relate this to us as a church because it's in Michael's, we are indeed the church. We are part of the body of Christ. We are a collective of Christians. So a church, number two, United, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul continues, if any, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. One in spirit and of one mind, that's unity. In this last Alpha course that we are running, we saw something amazing. In the past in Alpha courses, when we get to the Holy Spirit day when we have a look at who is the Holy Spirit and, and what does he do and how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? We have a, a time of prayer and we end up praying for individuals to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But this particular time, this last one, rather than focusing on individuals being filled, we prayed for us as a group on the Alpha course to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result's amazing. We've got someone from that course here today. We had a drunkenness in the Spirit. The Spirit felt tangible around us. People got words of knowledge. They got things that they felt they needed to repent of. There was a power of the Holy Spirit in us as we came as a group of Christians who were longing for the Holy Spirit to work in us together in power. And we see the same in Pentecost. Jesus wants his disciples to stay together in Jerusalem. And I put it to you that if the disciples hadn't stayed together, if they'd fragmented off, or if maybe there was only a smaller group, if only they met later, I believe the Holy Spirit would have waited until they were together, or he would have done something in less power. Maybe 3,000 wouldn't have been added to the number that day, those who were saved. There's a togetherness which is vital. And we see this togetherness, this, this unity in, in play, in groups, in fact. 
We see a group dynamic. We see uh, when people meet in a, in a workplace, there's a certain dynamic in that group, which is different to if they meet after work on a Friday night for a drink down the pub. That's a different group of people, a different dynamic. Again, at a football match, there's something different. In church, there's something different. This is a group of people. We're not just individuals. We are a church. We see it in a PCC meeting, the church council, when we get all serious. There's a group dynamic. There's something special about the group and about the togetherness. I believe that there's a power in a togetherness of faith as well that we often forget about in our individualistic age. Jesus said, when two and three are gathered in my name, there I'll be. When Jesus had something difficult to pray about, like raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, he took with him his three closest, Peter, James, and John. He took those three up the mountain with him. He took those three to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus encountered again a crowd who didn't believe in his hometown Capernaum, he couldn't do any miracles because of them. That's the inverse. There's a power in the togetherness of faith. But you want to say to me, and you rightly want to say to me, Guy, hang on a second. A togetherness isn't enough. Because maybe we have a few of us, maybe we have a whole lot of us, and we're holding on to each other as we're floating down a fast-flowing river. And our togetherness isn't going to save us because we might well go over that waterfall that's just a bit further down and we'll fall to our deaths and perish. And you're right in saying that, that a togetherness isn't enough. And that's why it has to be a togetherness in Christ, a church united in Christ. Being united in Christ means that we're in this fast-flowing river But instead of just holding on to each other, we're all holding on to the rock that is Christ. And as we all hold on to Christ, we're united together. When MJ and I were getting together, my wife and I, before, in fact, we had met, uh, I went to a friend of mine who's incredibly prophetically gifted, and I said to him, Louis, would you pray for me? I want to know whether MJ and I should be together. And he said to me, and I I believe it as a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit, he said to me, it's a bit like a triangle guy. God is at the top, and you and MJ are on the bottom corners. And as the two of you climb up the sides of that triangle, as you draw closer to God, you'll end up drawing closer together. And I want to give you that same image as a church. Maybe it's not two points at the bottom. Maybe we've got to go 3D. Maybe we're a cone. And we're all at the bottom of that cone. And as we climb up that cone, as we climb closer to God up those sides, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we will draw closer together and be bound together. It's a together in Christ. So we find this in Uh, Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united, not just united, but united with Christ. Again in verse 5. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as 
Jesus Christ. And then this incredible poem flows uh, from Paul's lips or his pen that you know and you love so much, which we use to describe Christ and how he came to earth. But it's not there just as a description of Christ. It's there to exhort us to imitate Christ in our togetherness, our unity in him as a church. And it might be at this point as well that you start saying, Guy, you've spoken a lot about Christ and maybe we can call this Christ at the center. But what about the Father and what about the Holy Spirit? Aren't they missing out on this? And I want to say no, because there's perfect unity in the Trinitarian Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit united in love, and Jesus calls us into that unity of the Trinity. What the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have in common, we can have as well. And then you say, but what about the tension that might exist between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the Bible? You say some churches maybe feel like Holy Spirit churches and other churches feel like Bible churches. And again, I want to say no. It is through the Holy Spirit that we have the Word of Scripture written by human beings but inspired by God. The Word of Scripture agrees with the Spirit and the Father and the Son. And as we speak of Christ at the center as well, we also want to say Christ should be at the center. All of redemptive history in the Old Testament points forward to Christ's coming. The prophets and the sacrificial system, all of them looking forward to Christ. And the great rejoicing when he came. And Christ on the cross, who reconciles us with the Father and brings us the relationship that we are created for, from the beginning. The New Testament writers look back to Christ on the cross and what he did for us, and they look forward to Christ coming again and what that's going to look like. Christ is indeed at the centre. But I want to put it to you that if we just keep Christ on the cross, we lose out on something that Christ didn't want us to lose out on. A couple of months ago, we were having a, a time of prayer uh, and teaching for our prayer ministers, in fact. And we we're asked to pray and imagine Christ with us. Where was he, was the question. Where do you see him? And in prayer, my answer was, I see Christ on the cross. And that's right. Christ is there on the cross, was there on the cross, reconciling us to the Father. But he did not stay on the cross. We were singing about it earlier. He was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. He defeated death. And then in his resurrection body, he says to his disciples, Stay in Jerusalem until I clothe you with power from on high at Pentecost. St. Michael's Church, we are a church who lives post-Christ on the cross. We're a church who lives post-Easter, the resurrection, and we're a church who lives post-Pentecost. So we've got a church united in Christ, 
following his commands. I've mentioned that command that Jesus gave his disciples to stay in Jerusalem. But he's got more commands for us by the Holy Spirit. And he inspired Paul by the Holy Spirit to write this to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. I wonder if you obey it. Here it is. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. We can obey that quite easily, can't we? Instead, though, he says, and we've got to obey this part of the command too, be filled with the Spirit. And that's a present continuous tense. Continue being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Are we obeying that part of the command? Here's another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says this to the Corinthian Christians, and he might as well say it to us as well. He says, follow the way of love. Again, we're happy with that. And, listen to this, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Do you eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? Are we as a church eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy? Because there's that side of the command for us to obey too. And the gifts of the Spirit are the most incredible things that the Holy Spirit gives us, not for us as individuals, but to build up the body which is the church as we're united together. And here some of them are from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, the building up of the church. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, as we find at Pentecost, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Are we eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit? How are we doing on these commands? And if our experience says that we aren't quite walking out in this yet, then there must be a conclusion that there is more of our infinite God that we haven't yet walked out into. There is more of our infinite God that we haven't yet walked out into. Let us, St. Michael's Church, be a church who are shaped by the word of God and following the commands of God. So we've got to, let's be a church united in Christ and following his commands. One more, number five. That provides the space for the Holy Spirit to work and move in power. Now you might say to me, Guy, you've got something that looks a bit like a recipe for a cake. And if you see this as a recipe for a cake, then we've probably got it wrong. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to act just because 
we tell them to. We follow a certain set of rules and requirements. No, John tells us, Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, verse 8, um, that the wind blows, and he's speaking about the Spirit, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, St. Michael's Church, the Holy Spirit is God, and he will do what he pleases. The Holy Spirit is God, and he will do what he pleases. But what we can do is provide a space for him to work in and through us. And the result of Pentecost of following his commands and providing the space is absolutely incredible. Uh, Have a look at at Acts chapter 2, where these people of God, these disciples are all together, and they're in one place. They're united. Suddenly there's a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that comes from heaven and fills the house where they're sitting. They're tongues of flame, of fire that come and separate and rest on each of them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. And we're told as they're they're speaking in tongues from verse 11, we know that these tongues are other languages. And they're declaring the wonders of God in other languages. I mean, don't you want some of this that we don't yet see? Some of this infinite God that we don't see Uh, Currently, we don't see that much of, but there's so much more of um, to ask for. But we also see something else. Verse 13, we're told, however, some of them made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. There's always the possibility of an excuse. But I want to put it to you as well that this excuse is a lame excuse. These people are declaring the wonders of God in languages that they don't know. And the lame excuse is that they're able to do that somehow because they've drunk too much wine. Well, if wine allows you to declare the wonders of God in foreign languages, I mean, bring it on, I want some of that wine. But it's not wine. It's the Holy Spirit. But there's also another way to miss Pentecost. Just imagine being that numpty who had a good excuse for not staying in Jerusalem for the festival of weeks, which is what they're all there for. Imagine that guy who went off. Maybe he's just got married. Maybe he's bought a field. He's got a good excuse. But off he goes. He's a disciple and he walks away. And he misses Pentecost. And he comes back, and the church is transformed. 3,000 have been added to the number. These guys have been speaking in tongues. They've got power to go out and preach when Jesus has recently been crucified. They're sharing Jesus with all their neighbors. And this guy comes back, and he's missed it. He's missed Pentecost. I wonder if that happened. I wonder if some kicked themselves, saying, I wish I was there, and I can't believe that I walked away. 
I want to put it to you that there's a way of missing Pentecost today as well. There's a way of saying, that's something that happened then, but it's not for us now. And there's no indication in the Bible that the Holy Spirit was just for then and not for now. Yes, Pentecost was a very special day and unique to those people at that time. Yes, when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles for the first time at Cornelius' house, again, that is a special time. But the Holy Spirit is still the same Holy Spirit on offer to us, who is in every Christian who declares Jesus as Lord. And we can be filled in the same way, and we can carry on doing even greater things than Jesus did, because he's gone to the Father, and he sent his Spirit. So my question from this to you, the Church of St. Michael's, is not for us individually. It's for the Church. My question for you, for me, the Church of St. Michael's, is are we willing to be a church united with Christ, following his commands, scripture, providing a space, for the Holy Spirit to move in power. Are we willing to step out into this more of an infinite God where we've got our toe out, but how about our whole bodies? Are we willing? Are we willing to do this? We're going to have a time of prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to come down on us in power. And fill us as a church. Be up for that. Should we do this? Let's do this. Let's have our time of prayer.